Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Hey, monkeys. Welcome to a uh, very quick turnaround edition. A bonus, if you will, of Snark Monkey episodes with Martha Davis of the motels. So cool. Now, here's the thing. Martha uh, came in and we're putting this up today on Monday, September 21st, because tonight in Los Angeles, they are screening and premiering, actually, the concert film The Motels Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go 50th Anniversary. So we wanted to put this up today, let you know that there are still tickets available. Red Carpet starts at 8 o'clock tonight. They'll screen it right after that. Q&A session with Martha, although we have quite a good Q&A right here. Um, Also, their cinematographer, uh, Roy Wagner, and director uh, Denise Fay, the choreographer of Burlesque and the co-director of Cher's current tour. So some really cool creative people on this. It's going to be at the Regent Theater downtown L.A. And if you go, stop by Beelman's Pub. Beelman's Pub on Spring Street. And if you can't make it or you're listening to this from outside the uh, general greater Los Angeles metropolitan area, DVD and Blu-ray scheduled to be released on October 23rd. So here you go. Martha Davis of the Motels, a band that came into the 80s just raring to go, perfectly made for the MTV era, but the path to get there for Martha. uh, Rife with a lot of difficulty. It's kind of a quintessential rock and roll story, but uniquely her own. And it just shows that to be able to pursue the thing you love to do, sometimes it takes great sacrifice. Listen to Martha's journey. She's delightful, very inspiring, and still recording and touring, obviously, today, as you will see from the live concert film. But uh, check it out and enjoy. Here is Snark Monkey number 39 with Martha Davis of the Motels. You would think you would know my technique two, by two, this time. Three and hello. You have experience on these microphones. I have used a microphone before. <laughs> as we post this, as we make this uh, available to the world, there's a big event downtown L.A. Mm-hmm. Regent Theater. This really kind of special night that you guys managed to capture uh, when you were celebrating the Whiskey A Go Go's 50th anniversary. What made you, first of all, what made you decide that you wanted to capture it in such a you know, high-profile way, HD and all the cameras? And, and did, did you feel like there was something was going on that well, night? Well, I was having a Cecil B. DeMille. No, it had, <laughs> Ready for my to close do, up it had kind of thing? nothing to do with me. No? We can all turn our heads and thank Mr. Greg Sims. 
who I was working with at the time, and he does a movie thing on the side, and he'd been watching the shows, and this was just to him. He's got one of those minds where he's going, 50th anniversary of the whiskey. You know, they've been doing shows. They're sounding really good now, and it's Martha's birthday, and it's also coincidentally his birthday. And he just he just threw it, he put it together. So I, all the I got stars nothing, aligned. I got nothing to do with it. I just <laughs> you know I can thank Greg Sims for it because this is his baby. But did it feel ultimately after you got off stage that it was a special night out of the ordinary for any particular reason? Well, I think when you pull up and there's red carpets and celebrity type people, I think you start feeling a little like something's going on. But, yeah. Um, but it, you know when you're on stage, nothing. It's always the same. It doesn't matter. And if you're looking at cameras looking at you, you've made a mistake, you know? <laughs> you're probably not going to look good on camera is what's going to happen. You, how many times have you played the whiskey, you think? I don't know. I don't know. I know it started a long, long yeah. time ago, 70s, you know? There are, um, my kids played the whiskey. It's, it's yeah, he's, he had, I mean, he had a band in high school and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, if you if you have a band and you think you can get people in there, they, they let you play. Yeah, it's but, a great it's a great venue. It always has been. I mean, it's just, There's some it's ghosts fun. in there. There's I mean, there's or a vibe or something. Yeah, oh, well, Not a bad did you ever see thing. it? Did you see it in the old days before the... They got no. revamped. I, I actually, I, I can say that I was there in the early 80s. Um, but you I don't, don't remember, remember do you? <laughs> so, yes, I was t- I'm told I have been there. Yes, and there was, there used to be, everyone that played there used to sign the walls. Mm-hmm. So Hendrix and Joplin, and like wow. every Beatle, everybody was on those walls. And so the ghosts, I mean, it wasn't even ghosts. You looked around, you were just like, wow, they were here, they were here. And you can, you know, we leave a lot of essence behind after a show. Right. Yeah, you do. And so, and you can feel the essence of others then, yes, I guess, you can. too. Yes, That's right? probably why they had to paint. <laughs> <laughs> if, if anybody ever asks about the smell of the whiskey, that's the essence. It's the essence. That's exactly what that it's is. beautiful. Let's. Uh, I want to take you back maybe to when you first got to L.A. and that Sunset Strip scene because you were in. You were born and raised in Berkeley. Am I uh-huh. getting that right? You're, You're a Northern California gal. Yep. What made you pick up and decide to come to L.A.? Was it music specifically? Was yes, it, absolutely. Yeah? I hadn't. No, I didn't want to leave Berkeley. I didn't want to go you to didn't L.A. Didn't want to leave Berkeley. No, no. Because I, of the scene there, or because of no, family? No, no. I didn't like the music in the Bay Area at all. What was going on? It. You know, it this was, was early seventies. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, back then, well, I liked the Purple Earthquake because I kind of went out with John Dukas for a while. But um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the San Francisco sound, the Grateful Dead, and all that stuff. That was not my bag. Mm-hmm. You know, I really liked the English stuff and Bowie and all that stuff. That was where I wanted to be. And you realize, you know, you can play in Berkeley. It's like any play, any other town. You can play in a small town. And you can have your friends come out, and you can have fun. But it's you're in that little little tiny pond. You might be the big fish in it, right. but you're so you got to man up and and move to where you're going to get challenged. And of course, when you're a young band, you think that you're going to make it overnight, and you're geniuses and all that <laughs> stuff. And so we packed up. This was the original band: uh, Dean Chamberlain, Chuck Wada. Lisa Brennis and myself, and we... And you were already the motels by this we, time. We were not already no? the motels. We were the Warfield Foxes. That's it, the Warfield yep. Foxes. Warfield Foxes. That's a San Francisco band name. And I already had two kids, and so... And I had... I 
had bought a house after both my parents died. That was the only thing I could think to do, so I bought this little house in Berkeley. So it was a big thing. I had to, like, pack up. I had to rent my house out and just commit or be committed um, <laughs> that <laughs> their is, way. Now, that is more so than maybe a young musician in that at their point in their life to have that kind of responsibility if yeah. have two children that had to have been well, an even bigger because I mean, normally it's like i got nothing going on here i got no ties i'm gonna go to la and the thing is is it's completely crazy and before my dad died he sat me down and he said you want to be a what <laughs> no you know what are the odds of you making it you have two children get back to school you have to you know and he was like you can't do it you can't do it what what did they what did your parents expect you to do or want you to do or what did he anything want? other than what i had done <laughs> seriously i mean i got pregnant at 15, you know, yeah. I was like, I, I wasn't really panning out the way they... You were trouble. I, I was I was trouble. But, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a paleontologist. I, I love the sciences. So, I mean, but I've been doing music since I was eight. I started playing guitar when I was eight. And it was always just for me. And then when I got... Damn, David Bowie. Was it Bowie Bowie that flipped the switch, really? It was Bowie that flipped the switch. and Because he combined all my favorite music. Because I loved musicals and and I loved uh, R&B and I loved all these things. And he somehow combined all that and added outer space. And I'm like, sign me (laughs) up. And so I just... It's interesting that you mention this because I'm getting... You're telling me the same thing that across the pond... I just recently talked to the guys from Spandau Ballet, uh-huh. who and um, uh, uh, Kemp, uh, um, Gary Kemp, said the exact same yeah. thing. It was yeah. seeing Bowie on top of the pops, yeah. and the visual aspect of it, yep. in addition to the music, absolutely, just like blew him away. It was so, mostly. I mean, when I, you know, when I was a teenager, I really loved soul music, and at that point, there really wasn't. It was really before. White people were doing soul music, and right. I couldn't figure out how to work that one exactly, you know. But I, I never really was at that point where I wanted to do it publicly. It really was. Uh, but he has – Bowie has so much soul. So right. those bass lines and stuff are just like just totally directly taken from that 60s wonderful stuff. And Who were you listening to when you were the 8-year-old with the guitar um, or playing or singing? I, I have a really <laughs> – the first, when I was like five, the first piece of music that just knocked me off my little teeter-totter was um, Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. My mom what? had this wonderful record collection. They were 78s. Yes, I'm old. And um, <laughs> she would have she would put on this 78 of Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, and I would sit there and stare at the record player and just be... I was actually looking at the disc going around. The speaker was in the other room, but I was little. I didn't know. So, um, and I, and I, that music just took me. It scared me. It was beautiful. It, it, it made me feel like I was falling in outer space. It just made me transported. I loved you, it. I, sounded I loved like. it. it we're, okay, was, we're going to stop here. We're going to pause here. This is where I'm going to put in a little recording, uh, hopefully royalty free, of of that. <laughs> All right, so now now people know what you heard that transported you in that and way. Absolutely. And then as I was, um, the first songs, I actually did a tiny, well, I was 
thrown on stage by my fourth grade teacher. And at that time, I was playing Negro spirituals. Oh, wow. And I loved, I loved, loved, loved that stuff. You know, I think I did uh, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and uh, We Must Walk This Lonesome Valley. But talk about soul. I mean, that, that's yeah. where... So, yeah. And my mother's record collection not just had classical, but she had Jelly Roll Martin. She had jazz. She had... And I remember this one particular thing that she's, she had was a uh, collection from the Library of Congress of old slave songs. And to me, I'm sorry, it, it's such, the, the amount of beauty that came out of so much tragedy is so, it's still to this day just, I, I don't, you know, you can't understand the resilience and the beauty of a people that have been on families torn apart and abused and be, I mean, horrible atrocities. And this music comes out. And I was just like, so I was a huge, I've always, I think I've always had that part of me that's been, and I, to this day, I, <clears throat> I'm actually working on a little something with a friend, um, which is kind of a TV show, but oh, wow. in, in honor of, what black music has done for me personally, what it's done for this country. My first three chords I ever learned on guitar were taught to me by a young African-American who was on scholarship at Cal Berkeley that my dad hired to babysit. And he came in. He had gotten a football scholarship, but he was going to law school. And he, um, there were, at the time, two African-Americans going to Cal Berkeley in the law department. Only one was allowed to graduate. What? This is nineteen early nineteen sixties. People, people, yeah. yeah and people and think is, of San Francisco as such a Berkeley, progressive. California. Yeah, you think of Berkeley particularly as such a progressive Absolutely. place. Wow. So this guy came over to, and uh, my dad had brought home this guitar that had been in the at the office down in the basement, and so he picked up this guitar and he taught me my first three chords. So this this man, Mister Felton Henderson who went on to his first job when he graduated from Cal was to work for Bobby Kennedy. And he was the first African-American to work down on the civil rights movement. He has stories. We're still friends. He's my hero. So Judge Thel the Honorable Judge Thelton Henderson, who is a, is a Superior Court Justice now in 13th District, which would be us. Um, but So that was, my, that was my first three guitar chords. And the first time I was put on stage to, put, to play my spirituals was by the first African-American teacher that was in the Berkeley community school system, Miss Favors, who was an amazing teacher. She was the kind of teacher who said, this is where your talent lies. This is what you should do. Oh, you know, not how just, important is yeah. that at, at that age and to have in, somebody in recognize In Berkeley, that. California, when the first African-American teacher came to school, kids were pulled out of school. Oh, wow. So the uh, I just have this this undying love, respect, plus the music that's carried me for so many years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm tr I'm working on a little secret something oh, about that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You, obviously, you have a passion there. I mean, that was essentially what planted the seed of yeah. your love for soul music. Which yeah. so you And you also had a wide range of influences because of your family. Yeah. Then you see B Bowie do what he's doing to maybe a similar influence that yeah. he's got. Yeah. So... That sparked the next phase for you. So 
you've got this band going, you're trying to kind of probably incorporate all these elements into some kind of sound, yeah. and you think you can bring that to... We think we can go to the big city. Yeah. Yep, we do. And so we pack up all our cares and whoa, 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 woes. Um, <laughs> I didn't like L.A. I'd come down to see where I was going to end up, and right. I just... And it was in the 70s. This was like 75. The air down here... It's not as murky, but man, it would make you sick to your stomach. Yeah, it, it was, was orange, it was, right, though, yeah, right? And it was a, it was a different chemical compound yeah, at that time. Yeah. Um, Give me a sense of what was going on in the music scene. This was Sunset Strip. This was Troubadour. Yeah, Roxy. This is this is the hilarious part about the motel, the Warfield Foxes taking on the big city. So we right. charge down here. I've got the dog, the kids, the house plant, you know, whatever, and. Um, <laughs> First of all, you have to find a place to live. And I was really, really lucky because I had pets and kids. And back in the 70s, like, people, this place was a ghost town. It was a, it was a real ghost town. What do you mean? I lived on the corner of basically Melrose and La Brea. There was nothing there. Nothing there. There was a tailor shop. There was a pet store. There was, it was a very... Was Pink's around yet? Pinks At least? was still there. But, okay. Uh, yeah. But it was basically pinks. And yeah. Then... <laughs> and nothing else. Nothing else. But um, when I got here, it was hilarious because we were so, you know, you've got, when you're young and you've got that thing, you're just like, we're going to conquer the world. We're such badasses, man. We're going to just take this town apart. And we get here. And I find this cute little house, which was really almost $350, little Tudor style brick house. Cute as hell. I'm like, okay, things are looking up. And then we try to go get a gig, and there's two venues in town you can play, only two, and it's the Starwood and it's the Whiskey. Yeah. And if you don't have a record deal, you can't play them. Now, what, 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 why was it so tight? Was it because they had kind of essentially what were headliners at that time filling all, the place, or was, was it like, po- politics? If you, well, you know music because you've been in it yeah. in a while. You watch these waves where it opens up and, you know, there's a lot of new... Right at that point, it was a very Eagles, Linda Ronstadt, mm-hmm. corporate California sound. You All know? that stuff had just kicked in. Yeah. Singer-songwriters who had gotten some success. Crosby, Stills, Nash had been... But they were all a family. Too. Yeah. They were that, all Yeah, it was, big, very, it was very... It was very... Um, That's yeah, the word. What, That's the word? the word. It was a the, tiny yeah. little bubble. It was that... Oh, it was the... The canyon scene. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. the the Laurel Canyon yeah. scene. And the record companies were more than happy to just have their acts play. And so goofballs like us show up. And we're complete idiots and drunk most of the time. And um, <laughs> So we, drunk, drunk idiots. Drunk idiots, Which would have been yes. also a great band name. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Damn it. Now, how different was your sound from what was happening at that point? Complete, completely. I, we had this problem of... Um, fitting in uh we <laughs> our our sound was was a combination i was doing some writing chuck wada did a lot of the writing then and he had great songs such great songs as hey baby uh uh bend over uh, uh. so that was going over good with that scene um we we were actually really funky we had a lot of like a Punk. I think that came from the Bay Area. but we Was there were, a little pre-punk attitude going on, there, maybe? Yeah, because we were raw and wrong and bad, and <laughs> you know, but had a lot of, a lot of passion. Yeah. And uh, the record company, anyway, 
I mean, nobody would, I mean, we couldn't get a gig. So we're like, well, what do we do now? And I'm like, okay, great, you guys. I moved my whole family. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's not like you can just easily, <laughs> no, you know, pick up no, the tent stakes and go no, back. I've rented my house. I'd have no place to go now. So You had kids, kids uh, a pet, uh, and a house plant, apparently. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot. And I had a pet rock, too. I, only mine was like a, a small boulder that I carried around. But that's a long story. Um <laughs> Anyway, it's just a metaphorical boulder, <laughs> Partho, or an actual boulder. It was an actual. I f- found a big rock that I really liked. You could barely, barely, barely move it. It took a few people, but I liked it. I like yeah. to sit on it. I don't know what's where, wrong. Where is the? Is, do you the still rock have is it? gone. No, oh. the rock is gone. But there's other rocks out there I found. <laughs> I don't necessarily have to carry one around. That's with right. Me. There's more than one rock in the world. That's true. If we learn anything from this conversation, all right. So, so you, you're hitting a brick wall. You're a not complete making brick any wall. progress. We're making some friends with some local bands like the Dogs, which became best friends, and the Pop, who are also these are like kind of weird, not fitting in any of that glossy sound of California. Especially the Dogs. They were complete, like you know. Um, I think it was just Detroit kind of uh, MC5, that kind of thing. You Where know? were you guys congregating, though? Were you well, finding we places to play? we would find rehearsal places, oh. and that's how the musicians would get together, and then we'd all go, what do we do? And we'd go, I don't know. Um, and then there was a couple of uh, Griffith Park shows where the the city put on some events, and those were pretty funny because it was just the beginning of the punk rock thing, and... You know, it's like Schmegma and the Slugs, and the, it, it, there was like all these disgusting names, <laughs> and we were kind of fitting in, but we really couldn't get a sh- get a show, and so we actually put together the Pop and the Dogs and the Motels. Oh, we got our name when we went our, to our first gig in Hollywood, which was at wait for it, Barney's Beanery. What? Barney's Beanery doesn't have music. You're right, and we're probably the reason. Anyway, they um, they put us. They tried it one time. <laughs> paid us in hamburger tokens back where the pool table was, or something. It was very strange. But on the way to that gig, we were then called the Angels of Mercy, and I was like, bad name, bad name, bad name. We have to be serving the public if we're going to be and serving soup as well. And Dean looked up. We we're coming down Santa Monica Boulevard, and Santa Monica Boulevard used to be where all of the old motels were. That's where when you came to town, you stayed in the motels on Santa Monica. Yeah, like those one or two level yeah. just basic yeah. motor hotel things, like touristy stops? Absolutely. Okay. You're coming to Hollywood, go stay at a motel on Santa Monica. Dean looks up and goes, what about the motels? I went, yes. <laughs> so we went in and they were like introducing us as now the angels of the uh, – oh, the motels, the motels. <laughs> So that was our first gig. Now we have our name. Now we're really proud of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I had a job working at a T-shirt shop in the Bonaventure Hotel downtown where I would stealthily make motels T-shirts when no one was looking at me. Oh, they were the me. custom things? I would, like, you know, get the little letters and iron them on. Oh, the iron on letters, yeah, yes. Yeah, little two stars on <laughs> So we, we're, we're getting by. We're getting by. Still no gigs, so <laughs> to speak of. And we finally decided... There was a little bit of the Berkeley that came out in us Berkeleyans, and we just said, damn it, the people will do it. So we will put on our own show. Damn the damn the powers that be. So we put together a thing called Radio Free Hollywood with the dogs and the pop, and we rented Troopers Hall, which was on Highland, which is no longer there. God, I'm old. <laughs> um, and and we, got, we rented one security guard and a keg of beer, and we sold tickets – and 
we packed the place. And I think we only lost. this was just word of mouth, basically? This is like, we, oh, no, 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 no. 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 There was no there's there's no thumb work in no, the old I, days no no tweeting no nothing what there was though was a really high, high octane and I say that with, well maybe octane was the alcohol you would go out at night you would print posters and you would go staple posters all over town so you, so you would run stuff. you would dodge the cops you would you I mean it was crazy it was but crazy that worked times. worked like hell and those po- posters are great. And people still collect them. I mean, there's some really great ones. So we would blanket the town, and we would tell all our friends, and we did this thing, and it worked. And we played the show, and, you know, I well, actually— Well, there must have been a thirst in town for something a little edgier. They well, you got to think the... if that's—and and it was coming up, because there, as it always happens, you'll get that, you know, something edgy will come along, and then all the, the powers that be, the record companies and stuff will go— well, that works, so let's do a lot of that. And yeah. by the time they do it 50 times, it's now as corporate and glossy as anything else right. because it's just homogenized and, you know, cooked down to its base form. But, That's and one so thing the that hasn't changed away. is looking for, yeah. looking for the next thing yeah. and watching for what the edgy thing is and then, uh, you know, co-opting that into something that's more mass appeal. It's Absolutely. Just, it's the same deal. So here we were at the end of that sort of glossiness and in came in comes the stragglers. And when that show... Another good band. I'm sorry. I'll stop doing that. I'm going to write these I down. I think you need to have a band right about... <laughs> it's the same thing. Actually, I've, I've taken a lot of improv classes, uh-huh. and you end up in teams, and you're always... It's the same thing as trying to find a band name. It's like oh, ar- yeah. arguing over an improv team name. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appropriate these and give them... Oh, I know. And when you're actually trying to think of a band name, you come up with oh, the vacuum the rhinoceros or something. You know, it's just it's really bad. But uh, hold, hold um, <coughs> so we did. <laughs> we All did right. this show. It was a success. There were lurkers, like strange lurkers, like Kim Fowley, oh, and wow. different people. And all of a sudden, we get a call from the Starwood saying, "Do you guys want to come play a show?" Coincidence? I don't know. Oh, I don't think I so. I don't know. Yeah. And then the whiskey. Do you guys want to come play a show? Yeah. So all of a sudden, now we've got gigs. Now this is really, really happening. So now, were you good? We had something. Yeah. I can't identify exactly what it was, but we had something. <laughs> and again, try and describe at this point, was the sound ever evolving or we... Um it yeah, at that point there was still because this was the old band, so there was a lot of like it was a lot of funk and kind of uh I you know, it's hard to describe those a lot of those songs I haven't heard in so long. Um there was one of the songs that we used to do was Counting, which was on the original motels. That was one of mine. And at some point, Dean Dean now had a job at Warner Brothers as an A&R guy. So now we're like, we got gigs. We got a dude working in the A&R department. Yeah. And he goes in and he goes, well, I'm not going to use my position to... Dean was so great. He was the only A&R guy I've ever seen who listened all the way through to everything that came in. He would bring home stacks of cassettes and listen all the... And I'm like... Really? You're going to continue listening to this? No, <laughs> that must have been a lot of was, bad stuff. He, I, I remember one in particular it, to this day. It was called Hot Orange Juice. And it was about a guy that was riding his motorcycle and crashed into the orange grove and was impaled on an orange tree and had hot orange juice running down him. I kid you not. Okay. So... <laughs> That was one well, of our favorite songs. Songs have to tell a story. That I author guess. might still be out there. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. 
might be big by now. <laughs> um, so anyway, we Dean's like, I, well, I'm not going to just ask them to do our demo. I'm going to go ask for a loan and because I don't want to use my position. And I'm like, well, you're a gallant man. Uh, but he went and asked for a loan. They said, what's it for? And he goes, a demo. And they said, well, okay, let's do a demo. <laughs> so we did a demo. And it was still hanging on to the the – the gloss of the corporate sound was still pretty big. Mm-hmm. So we do our little demo and uh, three, four songs. Counting was on there and other stuff. And they're like, no, you guys are just too weird. And, you know, it's just, I, no. Shortly, within months after that, punk rock broke. Mm-hmm. Now we're too melodic. <laughs> So because you weren't weird enough. We you weren't. Were, we you were played t- your instruments too well. We when we had melody had lines, nice <laughs> it was like it was not working out for oh, us. So wow. until the new wave washed us upon the shore, we were just kind of floundering around. But during that time of that incarnation of the band, a uh, somebody comes up. We we're playing the Starwood, and this guy comes up to me and says, "There's a guy from Capitol Records in the audience, and he wants to talk to you." And I'm like. This could be it. This is the big one. I keep telling my kids, we're going to make it. They're like, can we just have new socks? And I'm like, oh, God. So um, sure enough, there's this wonderful little man by the name of Carter. And he's sitting there, and he's he's one of the most cryptic folks you'll ever meet. He was just – he speaks little, and what he says kind of confuses you all the time. But he's brilliant. And he also wrote Incense and Peppermints, and he was at Capitol – and a uh, wonderful A&R guy did producing, did all kinds of stuff. And he has me over to his table, and I immediately pour a glass of white wine in his lap because I'm so nervous. <laughs> and thank God it wasn't the red. Anyway, um, he says, you know, there's, you know, I think you guys got something. I'm really, you know, I'd be interested in uh, maybe, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> go back, run backstage, tell the band. And Robert says, Robert is the drummer by this time, Robert Newman. And Robert says, well, I think I'm quitting the band. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's like textbook 101, (laughs) how you do a rock and roll band. You get record interest and your band breaks up. (laughs) So um, Chuck and Dean are like, well, we have to get another drummer. And I'm like, well, no, because I'm quitting the band too. Because You said that. Yeah, because – Robert and I were weirder musically, and we kind of wanted to go that direction. And we'd been we'd been working, we'd been opening for Van Halen and stuff. And I think Chuck and Dean really love. I mean, there's what can, what can you not love if you see the baby Van Halen playing, just swamped by gorgeous girls everywhere you look. You know, just like and it's just they haven't even been signed yet, right. and it's just out of control. Yeah. So they kind of. I think that my feeling was and. This is so long ago. Who knows what I remember? But my feeling was that, you know, I wanted to pursue a more Brian Eno-esque kind of thing, and they kind of wanted to go the other way. And so we parted ways. Yeah, that was a good decision. (laughs) So now I'm in L.A. Uh, Oh, I've got – I've lost the house because they – I was going to say, what was – how how were you being – $350 didn't last very long. Oh, boy. How was it being a mom around this time? Not good. No? Not good for my kids. Yeah. Not easy for me. No, it wasn't. It's, you know, we were broke. We were, it was, it was dark. It was dark. Did and you then, ever consider picking up and going back? I considered that I had no other real reason or 
or talent for I mean I didn't know I mean this is what I knew it this is music. what I loved yeah. and the other story is that when my dad was trying to talk me out of doing this my mom committed suicide mm. and I found her diary and in her diary she talked about this very thing about she had wanted to be a writer she was a creative soul and she shelved it and she stuffed it away and she took care of the kids and she tried to be a good wife and none of it panned out at all for her. So when I decided to do this, I sat my little kids down and they were little, probably not understanding. And I just said, this is the deal. I have to try to do this because if I don't, I might end up resenting you or worse, you know, and, and I don't want to end up that way. And it's going to be really hard and it might not work and... But it might, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it might. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's a terribly terrifying. And I wasn't – I'm not the bravest person anyway. I mean, mm. I, I do crazy things, but not because I'm brave, just because I'm crazy. Well, were you, what was your state of mind during that time? I mean, if you, you say you weren't brave, it sounds like you were willing to kind of face whatever and do whatever it takes, but were you – Stable? Were you no? Were, no, I wouldn't say. My parents had just died. You yeah. know, I um, <clears throat> we'd lost a nice, pretty little house, and now I was living in Echo Park before Echo Park was trendy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there was a guy that just snuff, snorted paint down in the basement who ended up dead in the basement with a plastic bag full of blood <sighs> where his brain hemorrhaged. You know, um, there was that my landlady who was lovely, and I adored her. It was this big, crazy, crazy house on Douglas Street. Big, giant house, but ramshackle. And her son was certifiably needed to be on his meds, would not stay on them. At one point, I thought he was killing my step, my uh, landlady, and I called the police. And the police came out and said, they dealt with the stuff downstairs, and they came up and they said, you collect your family and leave now. And I'm like, I, I really don't have a place to go. I mean, it was, we were living basically in a hell hole anyway. I'm like, they they said, I don't care where you go, but you got to get out of here. You just turned, you just busted the lead or the head angel dust dealer in Echo Park. And I'm like, oh, great, great. Come on, kids, get the dog. Let's go live in the car for two weeks, wow. you know. The adventure continues. Yeah, it was not fun. And it was really, it was debilitating. And my poor kids went through a lot and it was horrible. And I can't recommend it. For anyone, you know, mm. it's just not really, but it was just, it was a kind of a do or die thing, right. you know, and I just figured I'd just keep bashing my head against the wall until either the wall went or my head went. And uh, I guess a little bit of both happened. <laughs> <laughs> when did things start to pick back up? How, well, how was, did things turn around? I went for, there was a couple of me trying to put together a band, which I'm not very good at. And then this guy, Jeff, being a boss, you mean, or being? Or... At that point, I was really bad at it. Yeah. I'm still pretty bad, but um, <laughs> but um, we had played. We'd done a fair amount of shows. You know, people knew of us, and um, it was Robert and I, and he's worse than I. <laughs> so Robert and I are trying to organize, you know, rehearsals and get people down, and like the musicians' contact service. Ah. Um, <laughs> oh, it was it was really, it was getting more depressing. It was not getting better. And the house, I mean, the house, which 
it's probably an amazing house right now because I've driven by it and somebody's fixed it up. But at that point, there was places where there was no roof. Uh-huh. You just put your hand out. You know, it would just rain when it rained. Um, it was it was. It was debilitated, and it was haunted, I think. Um, of course. It, of course it was. And uh, so we were we were making it through all this stuff, and then this guy, Jeff Gerard, calls me, and he's like, look, I saw you guys play, and uh, I want to I be in this band. So I'm like, great, now we got a guitar. Let's, let's check him out. And he was, he was good. I'm like, okay. Robert and him immediately hated each other. Oh, really? <laughs> like, so... So it's like one guitar player up, eh, drummer might be. So it started that way, uh, and Jeff had a wonderful brother by the name of Marty who played keyboards and sax, and so then Marty joined the fray. Robert left after not too long. We put the band together, and we literally didn't play. I think we were out playing out about – I think our first gig with that lineup was Gazzari's. Oh, boom. wow. That was fun. And um, then uh, who shows up but Carter again? And so Carter starts really sort of buzzing because now this band is this band's tighter, it's better. So you're the sounding songs pretty are coming good. Along. Yeah, I'm doing the majority of the writing now, mm. so it's like it's, it's changed. It's like it's a little bit more focused, I think. Um, and so Carter would come over to the house where he was so terrified to be in that house that he would never go to like the front of the house where the windows were because every time somebody slammed the door at the bottom, the whole house would shake and he was sure it was going to collapse. So he would always stay pressed against the wall. (laughs) Like Um, in a door frame. (laughs) Yes. And I have to say that our dear, sweet, wonderful Carter died several years ago. And wonderful, wonderful man who just – John Carter is his full name. He refused to be called anything but Carter for a long time. And he had the best office in Capitol. He said, you know, yeah, come on down to the building. I'll take you to my office. And I go in his office and there's no desk. There's a pile of two-inch tape in the corner that he says is the Who or the Beatles or something. There's a two-headed calf, <laughs> stuffed two-headed calf. Of course. There's like memorabilia of the craziest sorts all over, just piles. And there's drums and and that's his office. And I'm like, I like it. <laughs> so <laughs> there's uh, there seems to be a common denominator with so many of the people I talk to who've had who've risen through whatever who have have gone on to do the thing they love mm-hmm. usually it, even if it wasn't exactly what they thought they were going to do in the uh-huh. first place. But there's always a champion. I mean, there's always yeah. there's and it, and all it takes sometimes is is one person yeah. to set you on a different path and and. Yeah. Or even just give you just, just just that hand just when you really just something. feel yeah. like you're just down in the quicksand. Just yeah. like throw me one of those vines, right. you know, because all he had to do was recognize that there yeah. was something there yeah. to encourage you guys to yeah. to keep going. And we got signed shortly thereafter. It was lovely. I got signed on Mother's Day. Oh, which was nice. Nice. And, uh, then we were immediately. What was really funny was Carter was so sure. He was going to sign us. And there was – this is like – this is when – 79. This is the feeding frenzy in like all of a sudden – because all the record companies had been going to New York and signing the punk bands. Right. And then they – I think it was the Nat came out with My Sharona and they went, wait a minute. Maybe there's some here over here. So they, <laughs> they all came back and started signing everybody in L.A. Yeah. So there's this – so yeah, suddenly it's like, oh, there's a poppier, more – um, accessible. accessible and and uh, possibly lucrative. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Version of that, but uh-huh. with better melodies and yeah. cuter kids. And uh-huh. oh, yeah. So they turned around, came back, signed everybody, which was actually a disaster for a lot. Of, a lot of my friends got signed and just shelved. You know, it was a real. It was the height of like 
below and excess and everybody it was just it was crazy times but capital, too much money going on capital actually i think that was some there was one of those years where the record industry made more money than the movie industry right. it was some huge and i think it was michael jackson's fault i'm not sure <laughs> but um so there is this huge glut of signing but capital wasn't like that there was they tracked us i mean this guy had been on our case since the previous band which was in 75 and this and is now 79 in a very different very state different, too yeah. yeah so this was this was a tenacious sort of very very thought about and capital was that way um completely i mean we came out the he was so sure he was going to sign us that he booked the studio time ahead of time because usually you get signed. There's legal mumbo jumbo. It takes there's it takes forever. You're not just signed and like woo, it's it's a whole rigmarole. And so he's booked studio time like three months in advance. Oh, wow. We literally went in the studio the next day and we've been playing Madame Wong's that whole week the week before. So he and the way Carter produced was very cool. He's like just play your set. You know, so we kind of go in and we would just start running the songs. Practically live. From our set, yeah. yeah. Madam, now, Madam Wong's, that was a a major, people refer to you guys almost as like the house band. We Madame were Wong's. very house band, yes. That's another place I've yeah. been told that I might have oh, gone to. Oh, you would have loved that place. <laughs> if I could remember. <laughs> if I could remember, but too. But that, yeah, and that, that Madam Wong's had this kind of brief little just flash of, of, there was so much going oh, on there, and, no, and yeah. nobody talks about it with same the same reverence as like a CBGBs or something. But it, it but had, in, this, it, in this town, it was for, for that time, yeah, yeah it was the place, absolutely. right? And George and Esther were hilariously wonderful. I mean, both of them. I will give you my quick stories. There was one night we finished playing, and there was a row at the bottom of the stairs. Two guys were like definitely going to get into a fist fight, and I was bringing you know, his carton gear down, and I came back up, and I said, George, it looks like you're going to have a fight downstairs. George is an old little Japanese man, just like, and he goes he goes down, and he's like, or Chinese, Chinese man, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> no, wait a minute. I can't remember. Um, he, he goes downstairs, and he's like, what's going on? And they're like, hey, man, you stay out of this. This is like, He's like, no, you, you go on, you, you move away. And the guy, one of the guys, one of the kids is like, hey, man, my dad's a big lawyer in Beverly Hills. You better leave me, you know, telling George to, to buzz <laughs> off. And George just turns around and looks at him and says, you may be from Beverly Hills, but you in Chinatown now. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> classic George. <laughs> Classic, George. Yes, and Esther, who loved to play the ponies and was always at the track. And the last time I saw her, we were playing at the, uh, what's the name of that track? Hollywood Park. Hollywood Park. Oh, yeah. And up comes Esther, and she's tinier than ever. She's just this little tiny woman. I'm like, Esther. She goes, Mata, I come see you. And I go, oh, Esther, you came to play the ponies. She goes, no, if I won't play ponies, I go to Santa Anita. (laughs) They were feisty. They were feisty. Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, who, who? Give me an idea of some of the other acts that were going through that period. At oh that man, time. everybody went through there. Yeah. Uh, the um, Ramones were there because I remember she dragged. I think it was Didi Ramone into the bathroom by his ear to make him take the graffiti down. <laughs> the police came through. Right. Um, there was X playing there. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Every, I. I. I mean. I mean, like everybody, right? Yeah. It Go Go Go's were doing the scene. Yeah. 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 We played a lot with, um, oh my God, 
I'm seeing their faces. I'm not remembering Uh-oh. names. There is, uh, oh God, it was crazy. All right. It was come crazy. Back to you. Someday. <laughs> so things start clicking then. Uh-huh. There, there is. Yeah. What, what, what year are we talking here? When the seventy nine, yeah. we basically got signed. You know, um, so seventy eight, seventy nine. It was mm-hmm. just, it happened fast when it happened. Right. Because year, I mean, this is like years in the making. You know, I left. Right. My first gig was in nineteen seventy one, in San Francisco, and so now we're. So when the machine starts going, mm-hmm. it's at a pace that you've never experienced before. And you and I still probably have not dealt with death of parents, you know, it's just like you're still trying yeah, to yeah. and all of a sudden you're in the studio immediately. You're making a record. I have no clue how to make a record. I kept going, it sounds weird. It doesn't sound like us because it doesn't sound like us. I mean because live it's all bashy and weird yeah, and yeah. then you get all because you got somebody producing you, you got somebody with their own vision yeah, of it, right? Yep. And uh, so I'm like, well, I don't know, and I don't want to be an asshole. And assholes are people that tell people what to do when they don't know what they're talking about. So I'm just going to shut up. So I did, and then uh, we immediately were out on the road. And strangely enough, without even knowing it, um, Total Control off the first record became a big hit in Australia. So all of a sudden we're being shipped off to Australia. I have no idea why. I literally had no idea. I didn't. I'm not one of those people that looks at trades papers or pays attention to. Well, anything. you're busy too. It's like yeah. everything's happening outside of you. My brain is going. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to Australia and we're playing our set and we start playing Total Control and all of a sudden all these lighters come out. And people are swaying. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm like you guys have a hit here. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And Australia to this day has been a huge. Huge place for motels has always been one of our strongest markets. Uh-huh. Yeah, they responded to something early on, very early. So, with the, so the next step then would be well, the next album obviously yeah. uh, kicks things in to a different gear, uh-huh. and then we get to that MTV period that takes it to a, a again. I go back to my conversation with Spandau Ballet. It's like yeah. you can't disconnect the impact of that to what was going on with music at the time, it just changed the dynamic entirely because suddenly there's a visual component to everything. Mm -hmm. Did you, it sounds like even from the way you described going back to classical music through all the soul music Mm -hmm. of the Negro spirituals and so forth, that are you a visual person? Did that, did you respond to that at first? That oh, 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 here's a I chance. Wanted, yeah. Before I was gonna be, I was gonna be an artist. I never was trained in anything. I just loved to draw and always did, and then got frustrated with that. And I've always kind of had a hand in that stuff with the album covers and the this and that. You know, um, I worked on the videos and and just conceptually and stuff. Sometimes storyboarded a bit, but I love that stuff. I love making videos. I and it's kind of because it does a thing where you don't have to be you. That's why it's going to be interesting. I haven't really seen our new movie completely. I've seen bits of it. I haven't seen the finished finished. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm not a fan of looking at myself just being me, um, doing what I'm doing. But uh, So we'll see. We'll get, but, we'll get ready for 90 minutes of nothing I'm gonna but that. I'm going to 90 minutes of me. <laughs> ah! <laughs> but... I was so lucky because when that stuff came along and what – I mean to be there at the beginning of it was the fun part because it was completely Wild West. It was really – that term gets used a lot these days. 
but we're kind of living in a Wild West in many dimensions. Right. That was the Wild West of the videos. And yeah, they were making was, they were making it up as they went along. They we totally yeah, were. We yeah. totally the first the first two videos we did, which were only lonely, and take the L. We shot in, I think, two days and I think for $60,000, <laughs> which is unheard of nowadays. And it was with Russell McKay, who is a wonderful director. Oh, he he, he made a ton yeah, of stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's he's just he, – and he was so wonderful and so lovely and we had so much fun. And it was just really flying around, just picking people off the street. Like the, the old bartender in the um, Only the Lonely right, video. Right, right. True story. That guy was born and raised in L.A., had – no, born in born in Oklahoma, moved to L.A., and then decided um, he was going to go back to Oklahoma. Went back to Oklahoma for, for like 40 years, came back to L.A., got off the bus, and some little, you know, somebody working on the video, one of the little runners just grabs him and said, do you want to be in a video? So he literally stepped off the bus and was in the video <laughs> after 40 years in Oklahoma. He's like, wow. <laughs> He was cute. It was kind of fly by the seat of the pants filmmaking yeah. at the time. I mean, again, yeah. as as something became more popular and more influential, and the budgets just started to just kind of balloon and become ridiculous yep. and more elaborate. Yep. And you must have had gone through that period a little bit too, oh, where well, suddenly they were you know, throwing my, way too much my, money at my you. My other, my other direct, my other newbie director was David Fincher. When he first started out, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He was very much a part of that. I don't know if you've read that MTV book that uh, has been floating around for a few I years. I haven't. Oh, gosh, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's Especially since everybody differs on whose idea it was. Mm-hmm. But it kind of analyzes each kind of era of, uh-huh. of you know the struggle to even get it on and the fact that it was barely on in some markets. Yeah. And, and who knew yeah. it was, if it was going to last? And nobody, it didn't make sense to anybody. Yeah. Of course, me, it... it it struck me and my friends right around that time. I mean, we were mesmerized by the thing. Oh, there's kids that never left. They're just like stared at yeah. video. Yeah. No, I was. Yeah. I, I wasted so many hours. <laughs> it's like, oh, good, it's that Rod Stewart video again. I mean, it was. Yeah. Just like, yeah. but, but you couldn't tear yourself away. Mm-hmm. I still haven't quite figured out what it was, and I grew to kind of reject it after a while, yeah. as I think other people did after the newness wore off, and yeah. also it became. It becomes, yeah, it's it's the same thing that happens with art. You know, mm-hmm. art is art is a, is a moment. Art is this, is like yeah. this magic that that the spectacular moment where things align and there's this 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 incredible thing that perhaps never happened before, or if it never happened in that particular way. And that was what we got with those first videos, yeah. you know. And then and then it got very, very polished and very, very nice. There's still some beautiful work that's being done. And actually there's a return now as people are doing all their own stuff on YouTube. So we're getting we're kind of going back now. It's it's a confusing it's a confusing time. <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah, I think that's a, I think everybody's a little confused. <laughs> but you're right; it is a little bit wild west like that yeah. in the same way where you have now the opportunity and the equipment and the ability to everybody to can do, do it. anything at at any level. Yeah. I mean, when a, a cat video and a, a million dollar video can get the same million hits, m- yeah. multiple million hits. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to figure out, is it art? Is it something else? Can you still well, make there's art? A, I was hearing on NPR that there was a museum that's doing a whole 
kitty exhibition of of, of kitty videos. So you know, I guess it's art. Um, All right. Well, the, there's the by the way, is, there's something to put in your next video. <laughs> Make sure there's a cat in there. Exactly. So when when that stuff really kicked in, success. I mean, you basically anybody else on the outside would say the band is successful, Martha's successful, things are going well. Where's your head at at that point? Are you happy? with the music you're putting out? Are you happy with what you're doing? Of course not. <laughs> what kind of artist would I be? No, as as things actually, the, the, the turning point was, of course, the the big, the album that actually sold here in the States was the All for One album, right. which, Only Lonely, which was produced by Val Garay the second time around. First time it was pretty much Tim McGovern. That was a whole, that was the mm-hmm. Apocalypso record that Capitol didn't want to really put out. And so... There is, there is, I'm mired in weird stories. Um, <laughs> Tim and I were going together at the time when that album got rejected. I said, this is a perfect time to like. So we parted ways. And then Val Gray came in, and Val had just finished Betty Davis' Eyes and this and that. And all of a sudden, our sound went to a very different very M.O.R., very polished, very, very polished, right? Very, like all of a sudden, I'm the corporate guy. Um, so. But at the same time, you're making money for the first time. Yeah, so and you're having hits, kind of like, and, and you're, you're here, and you're hits. being heard on the radio. I mean, there must have and the videos. You must have. You felt... know that sword that they have that has two edges on it. Yes, that one. Uh huh. <laughs> that was the one. <laughs> and as it as it went on, it got more and more confusing because I have a big problem. I love music so much. I don't care what kind of music I'm doing. If I'm doing music, there's a part of me that's happy. I can be doing the schlockiest, craziest stuff, you know, but if you're doing music, there's a part of you that's gratified, you know, I'm just happy. So as things went along, you know, and maybe, you know, the lineup wasn't, you know, my my original vision is dark and quirky and weird and strange and that's... That's the album we're working on right now, actually. Uh, (laughs) Well, what's your relationship like with those songs now, then? Because obviously when you perform, and and the motels in the latest incarnation Uh just came off some some shows, Uh and obviously the audience is going to expect those, and you have no problem doing those songs. But what's what's your relationship with them now? My relationship to the songs has always been fine. I mean, production value doesn't matter to me. It never has. It's the song that matters, and when you're performing it, even if you're using the template of that production value, it's it's the song that you're getting across. And I'm one of those people that believes that every time you play a song live, you're not playing it again. You're playing it the first time because you've never played it in that circumstance with those people. Oh, wow. With that, I mean, it's a completely different That's a different great, I've never heard anybody say that before, because yeah. a lot of artists get really sick of certain songs. Well, if and, you're concentrating on that, but if yeah. you're concentrating on this is, look at these, there's there's probably somebody in here who's never heard it. I'll betcha. Oh, wow. And if they have, they've never seen it live. And maybe they hated it. I don't know. Maybe you can change their mind. You know, yeah. it's like there's all these, the, the circumstances are so, that's the beauty of our job is it, and I think it keeps you so sharp because nothing that you do 
is ever the same. You never go, I mean, you can go to a repeat club, you can play the same club twice or three times or whatever, a zillion times. It's never going to be the same audience, never going to be the same night, never going to be the same weather, never going to be, you know, everything's always different. Everything's always in flux and changing. So you can't ever expect to play the same song. So you have always and continue to think of yourself as a live performer versus the studio, even though that's obviously a part of it. But well, I, I'm a writer more than writer? anything you else. Think, write, you think of yourself as a writer first. I'm a, just a writer that wants to go out and tell everybody what I just wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I just did. <laughs> I want to, I Nick, grab Yellow right here. I want to talk to here, you. Nick. Okay. I'm curious. <laughs> Nick, John, it's John's? John's, yeah. Nick now is part of the current lineup, and yeah. he's he's in the room with and you. And by here. the way, the current lineup has been together longer than the original motels. That I was yeah. going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your relationship with this music like? Because I'm I'm looking at you, and you're a young punk. You're <laughs> yeah, you're, I'm a young punk. You're a you're a you're a freaking kid. Yeah, I was uh, 22. Don't do the math. I don't want to yeah. do. I don't want to hear the math. When Martha I, and I don't want to hear the math. Well, I was 20. Yeah, I was 22 or 23 when I met Martha, but I had sort of. Been from I was in the right. MTV age of right. you know in the nineties I guess whatever yeah, that sure. was <laughs> what, that, that wasn't a great year whatever for MTV. they were becoming um, yeah but I grew up around music and yeah. around the same music that Martha did when she was right. a kid the same R and B I'm from Memphis so I grew up around Stax and yeah. Otis Redding and stuff so when I met Martha I I was like wow I I love the Motels a mutual the guy that's the drummer of the band Eric said you should come play bass for the Motels I was like I love the Motels this is great. Yeah. And I think that was weird. I was a weird 22-year-old <laughs> in 2003 that didn't know yeah, – that but, knew who the motels were. But, uh, but but the difference, though, is that – because my son's a musician. He's 24 right now. And, and he grew up in the era of the internet and was able to go find mm -hmm. stuff he liked. He well, didn't I was on, care when I was it came on the out. cusp. Yeah. Because yeah. in the late 90s when I was in high school, there was no – I didn't have right. a computer. There was no – I didn't have an internet. Like, you know – then I sort of got into it and started trading songs with kids yeah. in London. You, you just found and stuff. And they were like, yeah. oh, you should listen to this band and this band. Right. And I was like, really? That's cool. Yeah. My, I mean, my kid came to me and said, oh, yeah, we're all into Nirvana. And I'm like, Nirvana, you were born the year Nevermind. <laughs> the baby on the cover of Nevermind is older than you yeah. are. Right, yeah. How did you find Nirvana? And, and he said, oh, everybody's talking about yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah. So, it was a, I, you so know, it wasn't like some sort of weird leap for you to embrace this music it no was... i really i really loved it and i really loved that era of music and you know the 78 to 83 that yeah. there was yeah. a vibe and a thing that, that happened and it you know it got a little too slick and the sounds got slicker and you know for me as a musician i i, I always go back to that time too is that that was the last time we really created musical instruments so synthesizers right were, were the last they remake them now and they do all kinds of stuff. But it was the last time that was like, what? what is that? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. And so that era was the last time where people were like, I don't know what this is. I'm just going to make noises with it. <laughs> and it was like – and I, There was know, innovation going. Yeah. Knowing yeah. Marty who played keyboards in the band and for a while I was the keyboard player also in the motels. And so knowing Marty and him going he, – he didn't know what a synthesizer – you know, it was yeah. like – and that's the – glory of some of those songs and some of those sounds and the parts and mm -hmm. the hooks and things even spandau ballet all of these bands are yeah. just like they didn't know what they were doing with some of these things right. it's like and so it's a cool yeah in era. their own way they were breaking ground and but more than anything i think 
the thing you guys and, and I'm talking about is that it usually, no matter how slick it might be or, or mainstream or whatever, it comes back to the songs. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, all, all of these songs, when you, anytime you do Only the Lonely or Suddenly Last Summer, you see people out there who there are those who don't know it. There are those who maybe haven't heard it in a long time, but you also see the people who it just yeah. means so much yeah. to them. Those songs, it brings back something. And I'm not just talking about nostalgia. It's something deeper than that. It can, I, music has the capability of time traveling you. It really yeah. does. It, and uh, there are, yeah, I've been, it's, I'm lucky, lucky, lucky. I, I'm, I wanted to be a writer, and I write, and sometimes, you know, you connect. And when you do connect that way, it's just, it's there's nothing like it, mm-hmm. you know. And that that emotion, which is, because it's a, it's a feedback, you know. It's like you put it out, and then it comes back, and then you, and you just, it it's such, music is such, I, I like this shit. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You, you gave me that little journey, that very tough mm-hmm. period that you, just the bashing the head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't regret it, though, right? I mean, you, you, you. Obviously, if you could have done things differently, you may have made some minor changes along yeah, the way. Yeah, but... I mean, the main regret is I just hate putting my kids through so much torture. You know, that was that's rough. I, I really didn't even know what else to do. I mean, I was. How's your relationship with them now? Uh, yeah. One is good, and one's not. Yeah. You know, and it's a lot because of that. You know, so it's it's a price you pay and um you know it's it's also it's it's not just something you get but it's it's also allowed me to survive it Mm -hmm. it's what's kept me sane it's caused me to be insane at times but it's also my therapy would you have been a miserable person if you hadn't stayed in music i might have been a dead person You know, but I might have been a dead person had I not got pregnant at 15, had I not had my kids. You know, it's hard to know what things that sure. you that make you who you are. And, and I think it's it's everything. But music is definitely how I purge myself, how I get rid of, you know, like the anger and the hurt and the pain. And it comes out in the songs. And I think if you can do that, honestly, that's why people can relate. You know, that's what you're trying to do. Um, just be honest. You, uh, I'm sure you get approached by young artists all the time. You've got guys like Nick who are, you know, in the business trying to kind of create their own thing. And, and I've got a son who just put out an album. He Uh basically did everything himself. Um, it's what you do now. He's a singer songwriter. His music is never getting on the radio. Um, but he doesn't care. Uh, When artists like that come to you and say, how, what do I do? How do I do it? What's the way to keep going? I and mean, the business has changed so much. Oh God, I don't. Do you have know. a way of I, answering that? Now? I don't. I don't no. have a way. We look at each other and go, "We're making a record right now." As a matter of fact, we were making it right before we came here, oh. and uh, we're like, "Okay, we're going to make a record." Then what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> do you have a perspective on that, Nick? From where you're coming from, it's just it's he, just he actually deals with it more because he produces a lot of other acts. He de- he deals with the record companies now. I haven't really dealt with a record company, but Nick deals with it all the time, and he's like, yeah. I mean, I I you know I I don't know what really it was like. I mean, I just read books. Sure. So you go, oh, cool. Atlantic Records in the late '50s, right. early '60s seemed great. Yeah, that seems awesome. <laughs> and then you go to Atlantic Records now, and you're like. 
hey, there's some cool people here, but for the most part, I don't know who's running this. Yeah, or, it doesn't seem like anybody knows what to do anymore. It, it's a question. It's all questionable. Yeah. It's, it's not that there's not good songs now, and right. there's not good artists, and there's not challenging artists, and there's not people in the industry that really want that to be successful. Yeah. It's just, it's so it's, crazy. Well, it it seems like more than ever that if you're going to have the mindset that you had, which was I'm going to be an artist, and it turns out to be I'm going to be a writer, and it ends up being I'm going to do songs, it, yeah. it you have to be prepared to let that be the thing that satisfies you. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And if anything comes out of it, if you get to play it in front of people, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. If you actually get a, a label, no matter how big or small, to, to yeah. be your distribution, yeah. then great. But you yeah. can't expect... Yeah, especially it's a, now. Big it's a weird anymore. thing now. I think the 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 YouTube cl- stuff that all that mm-hmm. I I we're very jaded in LA <laughs> and, and New York and Austin and Chicago. All the like in I think London. the world is jaded. But now. <laughs> even the music industry, like a kid, the idea of YouTube, the kid just sitting there playing a song, he might have never been able to play it for another human being, right. and. We that's take true. that for granted. Like yeah, I get true. to play shows all the time in front of people, and right. I have since I was in high school. And a lot of kids don't. Right. And when yeah. you were going, that didn't happen. There was probably tons of great songs out there that point. never got the yeah. light of day yeah. because that just they didn't have it in them to play in front of people, or too scared, or just opportunities. Their parents just know you're not going to do this. Like, and so now it's like. A girl can go, I just really wrote this song the other day. And, you know, it's like, yeah. it's actually a great thing, yeah. but it's very dangerous because right. the tastemakers and the gatekeepers are far and few between. Right. And so when you don't have those people going, no, 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 it's nice that you did that, <laughs> but it's a terrible song. <laughs> like, you know, the the idea that, like, yes. you give people that that hope and, like, you you should do it totally. Right. right. But you also have to understand that not everyone is – good songwriter right. or that's you're not supposed to do that not everyone's supposed to be a musician or an actor or a writer or an artist yeah. it's like yeah that's what like, i always have thought is so dangerous about the follow your dream acceptance species at, uh-huh. at every yeah, award yeah. show yeah. is that and again I, I come back to almost every person i've talked to in this room or whatever room on this podcast they never end up being what they thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even as you were playing music as an eight-year-old, if you ever thought about who did you think you were going to be? Who was the person that... I didn't know, think I was going to be a musician Yeah, there you all. go. Yeah. And I, I think you have to be... It's more about be prepared to adapt your dream, yeah. to let the yeah. path yeah. open up for you. There is a... There is, I mean, this this applies completely across the board for me, and it's especially true of songs. Get can I can I use f word here? You can say anything you want. Okay. I wish you had been using it more often. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll catch up <laughs> in this last five minutes. Just <laughs> stay the fuck out of your own way when you're writing, when you're doing art, when you're don't let your the perceptions or what you believe that people want to hear. And it, I mean, just it, go as subconscious as. As you can. I mean, uh, the way I write is spew and edit. It's it's all a stream of consciousness, which I have to thank my mom, who was a brilliant literature. Uh, she was just well, she wanted to be a writer, but I mean, she would read to me from like Henry Miller and James Joyce and crazy, like just these wonderful stream of consciousness. And I learned lyricism from it. And I learned, you know, when you're when you're when a flow is coming, 
just don't you leave just let the <laughs> let the let the flow happen yeah. and we are so cons- i mean there's as he was saying there's there's art everywhere and everybody can do it but everybody's so self-aware they're so self-aware and they're so aware of everyone else you if you really want to make art lock yourself in a room by yourself and don't listen to anybody else you know don't don't look at any other paintings don't 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 I mean, everybody's going to be influenced because we all are. Sure. I mean, we've all heard stuff. You pick up all... bits and pieces yeah, from everywhere. you're going to get it. But, I mean, we were just talking about this last night. You know, people that are just like, well, I really want it to sound like so-and-so. And there's this track on so-and-such that has a such-and-such. And if we could get that. I'm like, what? The... No. No. You haven't even written the song yet. Yeah, it's I know. Like... It's like you have to write a song first. You have to write a song. And a song is a thing that starts somewhere in here for, by some strange little song worm that starts crawling around. And then pretty soon it's just like – and then there's an arc and then you can see the ending of it. And it's like a thing that happens. And you got to get out of the way and just let it go. Yeah. Well – Thank you for your art and everything you've contributed and wow. the beautiful songs that you've oh, made come to fruition. And I hope that people who are hearing this on Monday, the 21st of September, 2015, will uh, go see it and locate it in Los Angeles because yes. you probably can't book a flight if you're, say, in, yeah, you know, uh, Topeka. Uh, <laughs> but if you're in L.A. and there are still tickets available for the premiere at the Regent Theater Downtown LA tonight, uh, seven o'clock, I believe, or something. Just yeah, look, yeah. Be there at seven, yeah, and get, there we'll at go seven. out. We'll, right. You know, we'll have drinks. Beeler's, <laughs> Beeler's Pub is Beeman's a place. Beeman's Pub. Yes. Pub. I'm supposed Beeman's to mention. Pub. All right, I'm glad we got a plug fabulous, in fabulous people at Beeman's Pub. Great place to hang. Yeah, go there. Or maybe you'll see me you, after. Yeah, the, yeah, she'll buy you a beer. Buy you a beer. <laughs> uh, and I do know also that the DVD of this will be coming out in October too, so people should keep an eye on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Martha Davis. Just thank you so much. This is a great conversation. You're awesome, and um, uh, keep making music. I can't wait to see what these little secret projects are. I know. Well, Larry, you are a gem, and I like your purple shirt, and I could sort of knew it was you when I saw you out there. I wore this for you. I know. I know. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I looked I'm in my closet, happy. I was like, I'm pretty Martha's going to like this T-shirt. I know it. <laughs> Just do it. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest.